Raw Truth, Stories of Female Infidelity may contain explicit and questionable content. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the individual podcaster Rebecca Adams and are not based on the advice of a licensed therapist, psychologist, or psychiatrist. Listener discretion is strongly advised. Human lives follow many paths, presenting twists and turns and choices never planned, never expected. Temptation, anger, depression, and loneliness all can lead a person to a mistake they can't take back. Facing judgment and isolation, a person can feel very alone. These are the voices of women who have chosen to cheat on their spouses or partners. Hear their stories. This is Raw Truth, Stories of Female Infidelity. Hello everybody, this is Rebecca. And as you know, I am currently on a winter break. But while I'm away, I wanted to be able to help others in the podcast industry and share their show with my listeners. So please take a listen. And if you are interested in subscribing to their show, please check the episode notes. All the details will be there for you to go ahead and subscribe to them. If you just came across the podcast, Raw Truth, Stories of Female Infidelity, and you would like to listen to those stories, all you have to do is back up on the episode list to prior to December of 2021. The podcast will return on Sunday, February 6th, or Friday, February 4th, if you're a Patreon subscriber. And if you are interested in bonus episodes and are interested in subscribing as a Patreon, details on how to proceed will be at the end of this episode. And thank you for being here. Someone had to say it. Welcome back, everybody. Um, my my good friend, uh, Scott Jacobson, Jay, Scotty, you go by many different names. So welcome back. Thank you. It's great to be back. And I just found the video again. So <laughs> I had lost it for a brief moment. But it's always uh, a pleasure being with you and um, sharing this wonderful time. Well, it's so funny because I think um, we're both so technologically inept, which I'm a little bit better than you. I have to say I'm a little bit better than you. Yes, but it was you are. So, so funny as we're talking and you're like, wait, where'd you go? <laughs> That's <laughs> totally my life. Like that is totally what happens on a daily basis. Today works, tomorrow it doesn't. Like what right. the fuck did I do from one day to the next, you know? I don't know. That's that's why I live that one day at a time because today may or may not work and then we start all over tomorrow. Right, exactly. So we didn't really have one topic today to discuss. I don't know what we're talking about. Um, we always start with one and end up with God knows what, right? So, right. Um, so what are we talking about today? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question. We've been texting back and forth and we didn't come up with a topic. The first thing I did want to say, though, is after our last podcast with the escort, 
I thought of so many questions I wanted to ask her that I didn't. Afterwards, that's yeah. right. I did too. And I actually had people texting me. They're like, didn't you ask her this? Why didn't you ask her that? So we're going to have to have her back on. But what were yeah. the questions that were popping into your mind? Well, the first one that came to my mind is I wanted to know, did any of her clients ask for some type of kinky sex that was just out of the question like what was you know what was the most outrageous request she had and did she fulfill the request or did she say no right the strangest kinkiest things that's a good question so we'll have to have her back on and ask and you know it was really interesting that she was so open about it i didn't think that she was going to be so open and understanding with some of the dumb questions that I know I had because you know that's all new to me but I love that she was so real and honest and and open about it and willing to talk about it yeah she really was and she was funny and like yeah. you said truthful and honest she didn't hold back um the other thing I wanted to ask her and this is going to sound strange I wanted to ask her if she kisses her clients because every escort I've ever had, they would, the one rule was no kissing. They might let me fuck them in the ass, but they wouldn't let me kiss them. It was weird. Well, I think that's a misconception. I really think that's, first of all, I think it's the type of escort services that you were using and the type of escorts. But I think that was like an old thing. I, I, I don't know if that was still true. I mean, I remember in the Pretty Woman movie, it was the same thing. She was like, anything but kissing. Don't kiss right. me on the mouth. I don't know if that's still true, but that's a good question to ask. Maybe it is. I, I don't see why that would be off limits. Although I, I don't know, I'm, I'm a, not a big fan of kissing. I've never been a big fan of kissing. Oh, really? I, I don't know why it's not I think maybe because I know what it is or part of it is I know I'm a big um, hypochondriac I don't like people being too close to me I think that's a huge reason why I like this pandemic is people have to stay away from me right further away they stay away from me the better I want that to continue I actually uh, tweeted that a while ago like can we just keep this six foot social distance going because I don't like people invading my space. I don't like people touching my hair, my my face, my any, I just, especially strangers, right? Yeah. Uh, but even those I'm close with, I don't know, maybe it's just like all that strange saliva, somebody else's DNA in my mouth. It's like, ew, I, I don't know where your mouth has been. I don't know where your tongue's been. I don't know how clean your mouth is. You should know where your husband's mouth and tongue have been. I mean, hopefully. But it's funny you mentioned this because, because my last girlfriend was exactly like you. She didn't like to kiss. And I, I really, this isn't going to sound so manly, but I really like kissing. I mean, it really turns me on. I think a lot of men do. I don't think it's unmanly not to. I think most people, most normal people. Right. Yeah. So you and my ex-girlfriend. So when my ex-girlfriend and I were having sex, 
you know, I wanted to kiss like you see in the movies and stuff, passionate. Crazy. And, yeah. Right. And she would give me a little peck on the lips and then we'd do whatever we did. And that was it. And that was it. Yeah. And it's not very intimate. That's kind of me. I don't know. Too, I just, I've never really, I mean, maybe in the moment here and there, but for the most part, I'm like, I don't know. I'm really big about hygiene too and mouth hygiene. And I think because of where we came from, our dental, uh, I wrote about it in my, my book that our dental and medical system was so messed up and it took us years to fix our teeth even though, you know, I was 13 years old. So it was how bad could it have gotten, right? right? Apparently it was pretty bad. I mean, I had to have like root canals and stuff and thank God, knock on wood, you know, I'm like spitting over my left shoulder, <laughs> knock on wood, you know, we things are fine. But I think in my head, that's what I think about. You know, I don't know how well they brush their teeth or floss or what's going on in their mouth. And, you know, I... Still to this day, I cannot find my vaccine form that everybody has to have in order to start right. school and you know live in a, the society. So I have no idea what vaccines I got and what I didn't get. And I'm definitely afraid of mono, which is what the kissing disease, right? I know yes. it's only really like teenagers and young people get, but I'm right. absolutely terrified of getting mono. Getting mono. So stupid. So I have to ask you this question and you don't have to answer, but do you let your husband go down on you? Yes, I'm not a big fan of that either. Because talk about hygiene. I mean, if you don't know where the mouth and the tongue have been, and then you let him down into your private areas, you know. I, I see what you're saying. For some reason, that doesn't scare me as much as my mouth. <laughs> I don't know why. And I don't you know, either, but. Uh, I I have no problem with oral. I have no problem with going down. Um, I, I I just, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just about my mouth. I don't even like when my dentist sticks his whole hand in my mouth. And well, all no, the while, I, I don't like that either. That's, that's some stranger with his, you know, some latex gloves on ramming right? his hand in your throat. That's not a lot of fun. I know. But you know what I because I have met women like you who don't like kissing and again or I think part of it is right or oral and part of it is a a germaphobe kind of thing but I think also part of it is the intimacy factor I mean my last girlfriend she has some trauma in her life and whatever and we won't get into that but I think the kissing is just too intimate for her Hmm. you know where, where the other acts okay yeah they're sex acts and it's for pleasure or whatever but kissing and french kissing with the tongue i mean that's you know pretty Who calls it french kissing anymore do people really still call it that <laughs> i don't know you're bringing up mono which i haven't heard since 1985 so <laughs> yeah french i don't know when i stick my tongue down your throat what do we call that today I don't know what I, I guess uh you know my 16 year old and you are still calling it French <laughs> kissing but well, um, I got someone in my corner but you know what I think um yeah you do have this on your corner like you, it's the screen's all white so funny um you're very godly like now you oh, got the halo yeah, around you you're like very uh 
you know, Jesus. Oh my God. <laughs> right. I'm, I'm right near the window and the sun came out. So I'm going to. That's so funny. Um, but there's, there. no, it's, it's fine. Um, but I think there's something to that. You're probably right. There's some weird. Um, I don't know that I've always hated kissing and didn't like kissing. Maybe it's just over the years. I don't know. Um, maybe I'm just like, okay, let's just get to it. Let's just get to the point. Let's just skip all this right. shit yeah. and foreplay and whatever, <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. I mean, who knows, but it's interesting. It would be interesting to have a, like a sex therapist on and to ask them these questions. What, what does it mean when people don't like kissing, but yet they will do everything else sexually, right? right? And um, so maybe we can definitely um, have a sex therapist on and ask all these questions. I'd be interested to know if there's a reason. Oh, yeah, that's a great idea. Because look, there's a lot of science that goes behind sex. Yeah. And all the different things people are willing to do and the different erotic areas and how it affects our brain chemistry and stuff. And yeah, if we got an expert on who really could answer these questions, that would, be, that would be very interesting. Right, exactly. But um, yeah, so that, that was an interesting one. And then um, I did just interview a sex coach, which I haven't posted it yet, but um, that was also interesting because I've been listening to a lot of these podcast there's one in particular that i keep mentioning and i keep talking about and i feel like she should be talking about this podcast because of how much i'm talking about her podcast that's only fair <laughs> right um but she's got a lot more viewers than we do the five listeners or whoever they are uh but it's called sex with emily and she is this i, I want to say she's a doctor she's a therapist you know a sex therapist and she had on this woman who is a um, big feminist and she's all about the female, um, you know, pleasure and everything, which is awesome and great. And I'm all for it. But I'm very frustrated because she talked about the fact that women have a prostate, which, you know, for years there was this uh, myth that women don't have prostates, only men have prostates. So she's like, no, 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 women have prostates. They're not in the same place as the men's prostates. But I it's in no idea. Me neither. So I'm on the quest. As I texted you earlier, you're like, I'm going to go get coffee and then we'll meet and do the podcast. I'm like, okay, I'm going to go find my prostate and then we'll meet. <laughs> I read that text and I, I didn't get it. I thought you misspelled a word. <laughs> I thought you were looking for something else for our podcast. <laughs> and I saw the word prostate. And it's like, what? The, how the fuck is Julia looking for her prostate? She don't even have one. But now you're telling me you have one? So that is why I'm so confused because she goes, and this is a really interesting episode. It's like 428 or something. Um, but it's Sex with Emily with this Dr. Deborah Standall, Stadall, Stand, I, I have to find it. But, um, and she basically says that um, Sundahl, S-U-N-D-A-H-L. And I think everybody should listen to it. It was so educational and I thought I knew a lot of things. Apparently it's inside the vaginal wall and you have to find it. It's like right kind of like at the roof of the, when you 
first insert, like if you insert a finger, you'd like feel it up there, okay? Right. I, so yeah, I've spent the last couple of days looking for it. I don't think I have it because I can't find it. <laughs> I actually sent her an email from through her website and I said, um, we need to talk because I can't find mine. <laughs> now is that, is that what, and I'm gonna go old school again, is that what people used to call the G-spot? Yes, 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 yes. So apparently, which did you know that the G spot it stands for a goddess spot? All I know goddess. is it doesn't exist because I've never found it on any fucking woman I've been with. So it's it, talk about a goddess myth. There, there is no G spot. I don't know about the prostate, but yeah. I've never found a G spot in my life. Okay, so it does exist. It is there. You clearly haven't found it. And and that's what, you know, I talked with the sex coach about is that you need to communicate with your partner because a lot of times the women are just like, yeah, it's about the man. It's about his pleasure. Okay, let's just get this over with. And they're either too embarrassed to actually tell you what they like, what feels good, or they don't want to, or, you know, whatever other stupid reason. So it is there. And that's really where the pleasure comes from is what she's talking about is that process, which is internal but it starts from the top, from the outside, and it goes all the way in. So it's hard to explain. It's like I have to like draw a diagram to explain okay. it. See, I've, I've always thought, and I don't know where I heard this, but <laughs> I always thought or heard that the G spot was at the top, like you said, as you enter the vagina with the finger or something, you go to the top of it, and there's a G spot there. Trust me, I've tried this thousands of times, and unless I'm pressing the wrong button, I mean, there's always so much room on the top there. I don't see how I miss it every single time. So I almost want to draw a diagram for you, okay? But it's, so there's your G-spots or the, there's 32 nerve endings just on the outer part of the clitoris. 32 different areas where it feels good and it brings pleasure and you can bring it to orgasm. And then on the inside, there's even more. So it's not just one little spot. It's like all over. So if she- so that she makes me even feel worse that I'm missing it. If it's all over. <laughs> you should. Because yeah, if, well, the thing is, if she doesn't know what feels good for her, she doesn't know her own body, how are you going to find it? So I think that's the whole point of this woman who's talking about get to know your body and get to know what what feels good for you before you can be with a partner and explain to the partner what feels good, you know? Right. No, that so, makes sense. But right. I'll tell you, in all honesty, and this being serious, I have never heard of a woman who had prostate cancer. Now, I know plenty of men who battled prostate cancer, not to say that there are, you know, what, there could be women out there and I wouldn't know about it, but since today's the first day I've ever heard that you guys have prostates, you know, that would be another issue. Right. Yeah. No, I, I've never heard of it either, but I wonder if there is. And you know what? Keep talking. I'm actually going to Google this while we're talking because this okay. is a really interesting um, can. When men, when men turn about 40, yeah. okay, when they go for their yearly physical or whatever, their doctor checks their prostate. Right. And he's checking to see if it's enlarged, 
and they do blood work to get a PSA level and they're checking for prostate cancer. My dad had prostate cancer. Really? Yeah, and he actually had to have his prostate removed. That's mm. how bad it was. But, you know, I, I would ask you as a woman, I mean, have you ever gone to a physical where they say we're going to check your prostate? No, I don't think so. Unless when they're checking, because supposedly it's inside the vagina, when they're checking that whole area, they're checking for that too. So maybe that's, and they're looking for, you know, inflammation and you do have pap smears every year, which although I'm like way overdue for mine, that's a whole other PSA. Go get your pap smears even during the pandemic and mammograms, which was awful. That's a whole other thing, the whole mammogram machine. You know, um, it had to have been developed by a man. No woman would ever develop a machine that literally squeezes your boob to the point that it's so flat and they can see everything. No, it had to have been a man. And I refuse oh, to it had to be. And I don't know where I've seen that, probably in a movie or something, but I have seen a mammogram machine in action and I do feel bad for you guys. I mean, that thing, yeah, it just smashes the breast into a pancake. It's like- It's horrible. And you know, it depends on who you get, who, what kind of technician you get. Obviously it's usually women. But if they're nice or having a bad day or just total bitch, but the last one I had, I walked out of there crying because she was just basically saying, just shut up and do it. Just shut up and take it. I did it. You can do it. We all can do it. I'm like, well, maybe I'm a little more sensitive than you, or maybe you're right. squeezing them a little bit too much unnecessarily. It was awful. And I always beg my doctor to let me do the ultrasound, which they can do, but it costs more, so they won't do it. And they have some bullshit excuse why they don't do it. Oh, we don't see it as much. And actually, it's better. So now I end up fighting with insurance all the time because I just want to do the ultrasound. I don't blame you. That's, it's yeah, bullshit. That, that it's procedure bullshit. sounds horrible. And it's, it's not fun. It's, yeah. No. But, and uh, yeah, so I just looked it up, and apparently it says that. Um, like you said, yeah, cancer of the female prostate is rare. It does happen, but it's rare. It's 0.003% uh, of all cancers are wow. in that prostate genital urinary tract. So it can happen, but you're right. I, I've never heard of it. Well, that's, yeah, but, that's, that's a very, very low percentage. Which, yeah, but it, women it, is a good thing. Right. So speaking of your dad, though, did you ask him any more questions about the whole mob connection? Because I got a lot of questions about that. I get emails and texts and whatever. I think there was. But I talked to him a little bit about it, and it's just, it's similar to we on the that podcast that we we got to this subject. You and I were talking about how, you know especially probably in the Jewish culture, my parents' generation and then one generation above them, my grandparents' generation, everything was kept hidden. Everything that went on within the household, you know, stayed in the household. And right. I told you the last time we talked about this that, you know, my grandmother was the last living of that generation until she was 102. And I used to ask her questions and I would get very vague answers. She was never specific. What I do know 
is so my grandfather, my dad's father, he had a brother and a sister and the sister got married. So my grandfather, his brother, his sister's husband, the men were part of this Canton group that was very similar to a, a, a mob or a mafia. Wow. I think I told you they would they yeah. would go somewhere and I don't remember where, some room or somebody's house to quote, quote, play cards. And while they were playing cards, they would come up with these different plans. And, and I believe, I'm pretty sure that they had, you know, Canton's a small town. So they had, they were in the pocket of the mayor and the police. They would pay these people to sort of look the other way for whatever operations they were doing. Wow. And I wish I had more specifics for you. Yeah, like I want to know, like specifics, what did they do? Who did they kill off or whatever? I, I definitely want <laughs> specific, not that right. he would I mean, tell you. You know, it's like, it's like any mob, nobody really talks because if you talk, you get whacked. And now that generation is all gone. So I don't have anybody in that generation to talk to. And, you know, right. my dad was a kid. And, uh, you know, how much did he know or not know? Um, you know, again, I think when, when my grandmother passed away, and this goes back to like 2013, I think all those secrets went with her. She was the last resort I had. And it, it's a shame, but... Um, the funny thing about Canton, it was a small town, but it had a high percentage of Jews living there for some reason. Can't tell you why. I mean, we're talking a town that had maybe two high schools, three high schools, you know, a couple of elementary schools. I mean, it might have had 30,000 people. I don't know. I'm guessing. Mm -hmm. But a big percentage of it were, were Jewish people. They had two big temples there. And I think the Jews, for the most part, ran the city. They got people elected to office who they wanted elected to office. And whatever, Here, here's the funny thing. My grandfather and his sister's husband mm -hmm. were both in the furniture business, okay? They sold furniture retail. Yeah. To me, the, number one, that's a little odd that they both would be doing that in the city of Canton. They both had their own stores. I think it's it not that big of a city, right? Like, do you need two furniture stores? No, you don't. Right. right. It's again, <laughs> it's a, it's a small town. So I think that whole furniture thing was a front for something else. Right. Maybe they were laundering money through it, you know, and they would pretend like they sold furniture. Okay, I sold this couch and blah, blah, blah. But the money was coming from other activities. You know, it, it would have been nice to, to get the specific stories, but I'm afraid I, nobody's talking. Well, I, I wish somebody interviewed her. That's why I plan to do that with my parents. And I've interviewed them a lot, especially for my book, but I think actually have it on audio, you know, recorded having these stories that would have been amazing if someone actually interviewed her about all of her life and those, those stories and everything that went on. And I, I wish, uh, well, maybe my dad, your dad, my dad, your dad knows more than 
he wants to share too. <laughs> right, that's, has, that's what you're guessing. So I'll, right. I'll keep trying to see if I can get anything else out of him or see if he slips up. Um, Cause yeah, it is, it is intriguing. That's for yeah. sure. And, I, I love that it's, it's funny how, you know, people say Jews run the world. No, they don't really run the world, but they run Canton. Yes, <laughs> they run Canton, Ohio. Tiny and, little town. What is right, the population? It's, it's small, right? Yeah, I'm, I, again, is, I'm guessing it's 30,000. Wow. I might be off a little bit, but yeah. like this, when my parents grew, my parents both grew up there and that's where they met in junior high or whatever. There was, I think, three high schools in the whole city. Wow. And they went to one, and that's where they met, and then there were a couple others. And then the one they went to actually shut down, so then they were down to two. And as far as I know right now, there's one big high school that still exists in Canton, but hmm. you know, I haven't been back there in, in a while. But for those listeners out there who don't know what Canton, Ohio, is or where it is it's claimed to fame as it has the pro football hall of fame is in canton ohio oh that's right it does i think we took the boys there one of the times we went there yeah you probably did and uh yeah but you know it's so funny because someone asked me they were they were listening to one of the podcasts we done we did a long time ago uh about your life and you know addiction and everything and uh, they were asking, what is the, how do, how do we meet and how do we know each other? And we never really talked about it, but, um, and it's funny, I don't think, uh, we met at Larry's wedding, not that Larry would ever be listening to this podcast, but right. <laughs> we actually really met at a wedding of a mutual friend of yours and my husband's and like all of you guys that grew up together. And I think he was, wasn't in Chicago somewhere outside of Chicago that he got married? Yeah, I think it was actually in Milwaukee. Oh, yeah, Milwaukee, I think, Chicago. I, I don't know. You know, I'm so bad with geography in American states. Well, I think he was. He was. No, it Chicago. was Chicago. Was it Chicago? It was at some McDonald's house. You know, well, so. I know his bachelor party, which was the same weekend because we all went in town. Yeah. Was in Milwaukee because we went to a Milwaukee Brewers baseball game. Oh, okay. So, yeah, I can't remember. That was, you know at least what how many years that was six 17 years ago 18 years ago anyway it was a long time ago because it was before i had my second and he's 16 now so you know that was longer than that but uh and the funny thing is we actually <laughs> thought about naming the podcast remember we met at larry's wedding we met at larry's wedding <laughs> yeah i still love that name <laughs> nobody would would really even understand no they wouldn't get that but i remember when I got to know you, quote, quote, for the first time. For some reason, one night of that wedding weekend, I guess there was nothing planned. Mm -hmm. It was you and Scott and myself and another friend of ours named Harry Klausner. <laughs> Do we, we want to say his last name? I mean, maybe he doesn't uh, want Well, trust me, maybe, I don't know where he is either. He's not listening. <laughs> but we all went to dinner together. It was just right. the four of us. You remember I, remember. I do it was at some deli wasn't it some jewish deli or some steakhouse? oh no, i thought it was a steakhouse that's yeah. right you're like right. a morton steakhouse or something you're right you're right and i think all of you people got 
just a chunk of steak and that was it. It was like this giant thing of steak and nothing else. There was no vegetables, salad, mashed potatoes, just steak. And I remember thinking, what the fuck is this? Like, you're just gonna eat the steak, that's it? You're like, yep, that's it. (laughs) Yeah, because everything at a place like that, everything's a la carte. And the fucking Uh steak costs back then like 50 bucks. Right. And then you have to pay like $15 if you want broccoli or whatever. It's like, all right, give me a slab of meat. And at the time I was drinking, so give me my vodka or whatever. And I'm good. good. Yeah. But that's not what my Scott said. He's like, yeah, you know, Cleveland people, Midwest people, nobody eats salad. Nobody eats, (laughs) you know, anything healthy, just meat, meat and potatoes. I'm like, well, they didn't even get the freaking potatoes. You know, he's like, yeah, you know, it's all about the meat and it's all about, you know, that protein like okay that midwest meat and potatoes like you said that's uh definitely not how we eat in california and on just the west coast really i mean it's all about you know with every meal we got a vegetable we got a fruit so that was definitely like going back to russia because that's how we ate back home that's how we eat in russia Meat and potatoes, meat and potatoes, meat and potatoes. Right. Just the potatoes, you know? Yeah, when when, when money was tight, potatoes oh. were inexpensive. Well, it wasn't even when the money was tight. It was when they didn't have any meat or chicken or oh. fish in the grocery stores, because really that's all it was during communism. It's whatever they put out on the shelves is what you eat in that night. So right. you um, didn't have much of a choice, that's for sure. No, we didn't. But, you know, I just found out not long ago that apparently in Israel, in some northern part of Israel, there's such a huge Russian population in Israel in general, that there's a a festival every year that they put on. And it's literally just, it's called like a potato festival, because there's so many Russians, and this is all we eat, is really potatoes and meat. It's the potatoes in Russian is kartoshka. So the, the, the festival is called something like kartoshka festival, you know, because kartoshka. it's all Russians. I <laughs> thought it was hysterical. I thought it was so funny. Even in Israel, our cuisine, our culture has like taken over. You know? Right, they're still eating potatoes. Sounds like a festival that would take place in Idaho. Exactly, right? right? Like in Wisconsin or something. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Midwest somewhere. I thought it was pretty funny. Uh, but yeah. So they, I want to tell you a brief story since you brought up where we met at Larry's wedding. Potatoes? <laughs> no, it's, it's worse than potatoes. So, you know, those of us who were invited from Cleveland, we flew from Cleveland. I don't know. It was it Chicago or Milwaukee, one of the two figure it out yeah but during that time that was still part of my active addiction so the night before I had got all coked up so I did a lot of cocaine and I was drinking and I had to wake up in the morning you know first of all you're all coked up so you're not sleeping most of the night anyhow and then I had to get on this morning flight and I was with our friends Scott and Sue we flew together. I don't know who else flew. Wait, let me was, just ask you, you flew with Coke or you got it when you got there? How did you? Oh, no. The night, the night before I left Cleveland for the wedding, mm-hmm. I partied. So I did oh, a lot oh, of cocaine oh, and I drank. 
Now, I did do a little bit of cocaine in the morning before I went to the airport to try to wake me up or whatever. But then, you know, the shit wears off quick. We're at the airport. We're, we're in this puddle jumper plane. It's a small plane flying to Chicago or Milwaukee, wherever. I was fucking miserable. Freaking out. I bet you were yeah. just completely. Oh, my God. It was it, it was absolutely terrible. And then I forget what happened when we got there and you got to check into the hotel and the whole thing. That whole day and night was completely miserable, forgettable. Luckily, I didn't bring any coke with me for the rest of the weekend. <laughs> well, I was gonna say. I mean, this was before nine eleven, right? Or was it after nine eleven? It was. It had to have been after nine eleven. So, I, I'm assuming they always had those dog sniffing dogs. Dog sniffing dogs. You know what I mean? The drug sniffing dogs. Dog sniffing drugs. No. Right. Drug sniffing dogs, Drug right? Could you sniffing dogs? <laughs> yes. As usual, how would you even? Would you have? Have you ever brought it with you, or any okay. other drugs on the plane? Yes, actually, I have. You, think you came to visit us in in LA, in California. No, I I didn't do that then. Okay. But in two thousand three, I was dating a woman, and we went to Las Vegas. And her, she's actually the person in my life who introduced me to illegal substances. She was the first person I did cocaine with. So was this the one big, I met in Cleveland? Or no, this was someone else. No, no, you, you bring met, her around. You met somebody else who I did cocaine with. That was great. Of course. <laughs> we met one of them. Right. So we're going out to Vegas for a few nights, and we had done the drug ecstasy a number of times in Cleveland. And we knew out in Vegas that they had these, you know, late night clubs that play the electronic music. And we wanted to do ecstasy out there. So we put the ecstasy in a plastic little baggie. She shoved it up her coochie. And oh. luckily we did make it through. We got through security, we got on the plane. I don't know why the drug, the dogs, if they were there, because it was after 9-11. Well, she was up her thing. Why they probably couldn't have sniffed it out with all the plastic I'm, bags. I'm guessing maybe it didn't smell too good down there. And they, they couldn't sniff it out. I can't imagine how uncomfortable that flight could have been for her. That's a long ass flight. That's like five and a half hour flight. Right, it right? had to be miserable for her. Yeah, four or five hours. She didn't say a word like this plastic bag is really rubbing on the insides of my vagina. <laughs> I don't know. I can't remember if she maybe went to the, the restroom on the plane and took it out. I, I don't know. But I do know the same story that morning before our flight, we started doing coke. So then we got to the airport. So we were going to come down off the Coke, which was no good. So we started drinking and we were drinking on the plate. And it's just I mean, wow. it's something. I can't, you know, what's so weird about that time is I look back at, as you know, I, we were hanging out because a lot of times we met you and another, some other person in Vegas. I can't remember it was and we would come to Cleveland or whatever and I do remember and tell me if I'm wrong I do remember you running off to the bathroom a lot 
And I remember thinking, I remember asking my Scott, like, oh, maybe he's got like a UTI or something, you know, maybe he's got a, <laughs> a bladder infection, <laughs> which technically I don't think men get those, but I'm like, God, he goes pee a lot. You're like, yeah, I'll be right back. I got to go pee. You weren't going to pee, right? You were going no. in the bathroom to do whatever. Right. And, and I remember, I remember the, the well, one of the specific times you're talking about, you guys were in Cleveland. We all went to a restaurant, uh, which is only five minutes from where I live. I think it's called Mitchell Seafood. We had a long rectangular table and all, all our friends, the couples were there, yeah. Mike and his wife and Scott and whatever. And I was there with the woman you met, Bridget. Bridget, yes. So, and during that meal, yes, we were doing Coke. So I'm sure each of us kept getting up and going to the bathroom. Now, the worst part of that story, if, if I remember this right, and I'm pretty sure, my sister and her husband were there with another couple. Oh, at the same time. At the same time in a different part of the restaurant. And I, I think I remember going up and saying hi to them. Now, whether they paid attention, how many times I walked by their table to go to the bathroom, but you picked up on that. That's pretty good. I'm very observant. And I think that's my problem is because I can't, I can't sit still. I'm always aware of everything. Uh, I think that's why I can't sleep at night. I'm just, my brain doesn't stop working. I, I, and I think as a mother, you, you have to be like that when your kids are young. You're always aware of your surroundings. You're always aware of what's going on. Make sure they don't drown. Make sure they don't drink bleach. Make sure they don't grab <laughs> something, you know, stick their hand in the fire, whatever. But right. I think I've always been that way. I'm super observant. In fact, when we're out to dinner, a lot of times I'm just out in public. I can tell when a couple is on a first date. I can tell when they're fighting. I can tell what's happening. Um, and I, I can read lips. I don't know why it's a really? stupid thing, but I can also tell just by, from body language. So I do remember a lot of that. I do remember you, whatever you had this fetish with lollipops, you were always sucking on a lollipop and passing them out to random people. Do you remember that? Now, see that I don't remember. You don't remember that? Okay, we were in Vegas, and I swear, like every 20 minutes, a lollipop would appear, you know, a sucker, whatever you call them. Right. And you're always giving it to other people, too. Don't know why. And now that I think about it, maybe that was kind of uh, something to do in between of taking a drug, doing a drug, whatever you call it. You know what I mean? Getting high. Maybe it was like some kind of uh, distraction, like smoking, gum chewing. I don't know. But I do remember that. And then, you know how some people, when they're high or drunk, they're, they could be mean drunks, they could be happy drunks, they could be sappy. I know when I drink even a little bit, which it doesn't take me much to be like really buzzed or drunk. Um, I get very emotional. A lot of women do. Right. Uh, and I get, I get happy, then emotional, then happy, then emotional. It's like a roller coaster. But you were mean. I was mean. <laughs> you were mean. Like you were funny. You were funny as hell. Like really, really funny. Like all this shit would just fly out of your mouth. But you could tell when you were like up and you could tell when you were down because you would get really mean. You were constantly telling me that I have the most annoying voice, which I know I do. And you know, oh, it's yeah. loud and screechy. Oh, you were like, That's not nice to me. no, I remember. But then you would 
completely the switch and you would be like the nicest, funniest guy in the world. And I was, I felt like I was the only one that was picking up that something is off. Even either, you know, he's bipolar, he's got issues or he's doing drugs or he's doing something. And everyone's like, oh, he's fine, leave him alone. Everything is fine. I'm like, no, something just doesn't seem right with this guy. He just went off on me about how annoying my voice is and like, just shut up already. And then he's like, oh, I love you guys, you know? Right. (laughs) So when we we went to Vegas, I remember that trip and we had a great time. I didn't do any drugs out there. I mean, I definitely drank, I was still drinking. And I always thought when I drank, I always thought, like you said, I was a nice, more outgoing, funny guy because normally I'm more introverted you know right. but Why? drinks in me but i never thought i mean i do remember now that you bring it up i used to make fun of your voice and stuff i probably was drunk and thought i was being funny i Maybe mean it was funny it was really funny whatever the jokes you were making they were hysterical and we were yeah, always laughing maybe I t- took it a little too far and then you know when you're a drinker like i was that you know, I probably drank all night through dinner and then after and whatever. You know, the problem is you wake up in the morning with a hangover and maybe then I'm not such a nice guy till I get another couple of drinks in me, but. But I do remember, and tell me if you remember this, um, I do remember seeing a lot of pills, a lot of bottles. Um, you were staying at our house, um, you came to visit, and I remember I walked by your room. I don't know if I went to get a kid or get something and your suitcase was open. And I just remember seeing all these prescription bottles of pills in the, like a lot. And I remember telling Scott, I'm like, oh man, I hope he's okay. There's definitely a lot of uh, prescription pills there. You know, what is it for? He's like, really? I'm like, I don't know. I have no idea. I'm like, it just to me. And he was like, yeah, whatever. You know, most people don't really pay attention to things like that. But I was like, something is not right there. There is a lot of bottles there. Well, that, I mean, that that is true. And those prescriptions, I don't remember specifically what yeah. they were, obviously, when I came to visit you. But, you know, I'm, I'm still to this day on a number of medications for basically mental health. Right. Um, I didn't bring, I know for sure, I didn't bring any illegal substances to your house so I could get high, like, you know, painkillers, Percocets, whatever. So whatever you saw in the suitcase were legitimate prescriptions, whatever I was on at the time. And it's crazy because however many years later, if you came over and opened my medicine cabinet, you would see probably the same number of bottles. Now I am working really hard with my psychiatrist to start weaning off some, lowering the amount I'm on. I'm always going to have to be on something and we could certainly at some point in time get into why, but I just feel today I'm just on way too many different medications for mm-hmm. mental health and it's a, it's a lot of chemicals I take into my body every day. Some I have to take in the morning and some I have to take at night and, and well, you know, and- this has been going on for years. Right. And you have to be really careful if you're going to try to wean yourself off. And I remember you saying you tried 
And some of those things, you know, you may have to be on for the rest of your life. I mean, maybe some are unnecessary, but it's so dangerous. You got to be so careful trying to wean yourself off or not take certain ones. And obviously you can't just stop right away. And I'm sure your doctor can, will help with that. But I just know, um, well, my question to you, I guess, is how could you control that when you knew you were traveling, you going somewhere and you didn't bring substances or things that you normally would have, how could you control that? Was it just you would turn to alcohol and you wouldn't need all those other pills or substance or Coke or whatever it is? Yeah, because dur during the times that we're talking about all these trips, the Vegas trip, going to visit you, Larry's wedding, I was not on my, my substance use. I wasn't on anything that was highly addictive. Mm. Okay. I might party and do Coke all night long and drink and whatever, but even cocaine. I mean, I suppose if you use it daily for a long time, you could get, it's more psychological addiction than anything than a physical addiction. Mm -hmm. But at those times I hadn't, started with opiates i hadn't started with heroin things that you know are physically addicting and you need them when you get up in the morning you need them all day right. so yeah like you said i could i could put down the cocaine let's say for a number of days or a number of weeks and you know i could drink and i'm sure there were some nights we went out and maybe i only had a couple and some nights i might have had more than you guys had but yeah it wasn't it wasn't until, and it's funny because when I started on addictive substances, which is about 2010, 11, I don't think I ever traveled. I, I don't think, one, I don't think I had the money to travel because I was spending all my money on these drugs. Right. And I was having problems keeping jobs and the whole thing. Um, you know, I haven't been on an airplane in a long time. I used to travel all the time. I used to love that. Mm -hmm. But, you know, when I was in my, the height of my active addiction, I never left. I never traveled. So, you know, I didn't have to really worry about that. Yeah. Do you think, and this might be, as you're talking, I was just thinking about this. Do you, this might be a very ignorant statement, but do you think, um, mental health issues and addiction kind of go hand in hand or it's one before the other or one after the other i'm a huge believer that they go hand in hand really and they call it they call it dual diagnosis for people who have mental health issues and alcoholism or addiction issues so hmm. someone like me who battles them both like when i would go to treatment to try to get off the substances I'd always be diagnosed with dual diagnosis. So on the mental health side, I've, I've got depression diagnosis and anxiety diagnosis. And then on the other side, I'm an addict. Now I truly believe that my addiction was 80 to 90% caused by my mental illness. I was self-medicating. Wow. I didn't like feeling depressed. I don't like feeling anxiety. So depending what I was feeling, I would find illegal substances to take those feelings away. 
And the majority of people that I have met who battle alcoholism or addiction, they've got some type of mental health issue or diagnosis. Some may not even know it, but mm-hmm. trust me, they have it. Right. It's, it's rare that you find somebody who just drinks or does drugs, but has zero mental health issues, zero mental health diagnosis. You know, because I guess the the other side of the coin is, let's say I didn't have any depression, anxiety issues, but I started using substances. Well, depending on the substance, cocaine causes anxiety, heroin causes depression. So the substance use is going to lead to the mental health part. Mm -hmm. So it's it's a vicious cycle, no matter what part of it you're in. And it makes sense. I mean, it it all makes sense completely. And you know, it's it's kind of sad, but I I told my kids that I feel like a lot of moms, parents become alcoholics or drug addicts <laughs> after having children. I know this is a joke and it's really stupid to joke about this, but I don't think I drank as much as I did until after having children. Uh, and they laugh because, you know, I've partaken in smoking of marijuana, <laughs> um, whatever kids call it these days. And, you know, in, in, in small amounts here and there, just kind of relax and put myself to sleep. But I've never had that... I guess, addictive personality, which I'm sure I have it with other things. I mean, we all have addictions and we all get addicted to some things. Uh, But I really truly feel like a lot of moms, and I know I've talked to so many moms about this before, that we truly did not use any kind of substances until we became parents. Just as a way to cope with the stress and kind of... uh, relax at nights or just to forget about all the shit that we have on our plate and it's it's not right but i think um you know my kids always say oh you're just blaming us for <laughs> for the things that you <laughs> you do or you've done but i think it's true i think a lot of parents do and i've talked to so many moms and i don't know like with the women that you were dating while you were using whatever it was do you think that was kind of true or people that you were dating or meeting well, I, I definitely, first of all, I definitely think that's a true statement. Now, look, I'm not a parent, so obviously I can't speak to, to what you guys go through, but I would just imagine you bring a child into this world, all of a sudden you're responsible for this other human being. When they're born, obviously they can't do anything for themselves. Yeah. So that's got to be just innately a lot of added anxiety and stress and pressure just has to be and you know there's there's a reason alcohol's out there and it sells so much and whatever because it does relax you like you say you have a rough day with the kids and they're young and there's a lot of stress and at the end of the you know when they're asleep you have a few glasses of wine or whatever it is something to help you unwind yeah and that just makes a ton of sense to me now as far as the girls i dated 
during my active addiction, from what I can remember, they were all mothers. But the problem is they, they were so caught up in their addiction that they were mothers from a distance. You know, one of them, the one who went to Vegas with me, she raised a daughter by herself. And she always had the daughter with her. She never lost the daughter, even though she was oh. drinking and using or whatever. So I give her credit. She did the best she could. But I hear so many stories, like when I go to AA or in treatment or whatever it is, about mothers who've lost custody of their kids right. because their drinking and using got so bad that, you know, it wasn't safe for the children and either child services stepped in or if there was a husband or father around who wasn't an addict, he stepped in. So yeah, that, you know, that certainly happens a lot. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the shame of it is it's the children who get affected and right. they, they have no choice or say in the matter. I mean, it's just. Yeah. Well, and how, how did she get started? Do you think that's what it was? Just a stress of being a single mom and just having a, a glass of wine here and there and then second and third and other things? No, the, the way she specifically got started, since she was a single mom mm -hmm. and the, the baby daddy, as they call it today, wasn't around and wasn't helping out. He was a German. She danced to make money to raise her kids. She danced, she stripped. Mm -hmm. The only way, and I got to know her pretty well, the only way she could even get on stage to do that is she had to be completely drunk then you know a little bit of coke to wake her up whatever she could not get on stage sober wow. so even though she was really dancing for the right reason to make money to raise her daughter it it dragged her into the whole world of drinking and using and it it, it became really bad but that was you know that was her only way that she yeah. saw to be able to raise her daughter so that's really sad yeah that's that's the unfortunate reality of many many single moms and many people but um yeah so um let, let's go back to um you know we let's finish up on a happy note okay <laughs> I know we could talk about mental health and addiction forever, and we will. We'll always talk about those things. But uh, we were talking about weddings and stuff, and you mentioned something earlier about weddings today, and your niece, I guess, is getting married, right? Or she's engaged? Yes. Yeah, so my niece got engaged about three weeks ago or something. And she had been dating this guy for a year or two, and it's it's a great thing i mean everybody's happy the two families actually know each other because they're both from beachwood mm -hmm. you know the suburb that i grew up in and you know, right obviously whatever so yeah so they got engaged so i was at my sister's house on father's day and the wedding is until next may mm -hmm. but my sister and brother-in-law were telling me about the wedding plans and first of all, I have not been to a wedding in years. Right. Because Same. nobody would invite me. Nobody wanted me around when I was out there using and drinking. 
And so there were there were weddings of people I would normally have been invited to that I weren't. So I haven't been to a wedding in years. <laughs> but what they're talking about is okay, Friday night instead of a rehearsal dinner, it's a welcoming party where everybody's invited. So not only it used to be, I think, rehearsal dinner was usually for the out of town guests, right, and the wedding party, right, right. I mean, that's when we got married. That's what. Right. So this is what's called a welcome party where everybody, whoever's invited to the wedding is invited to this. And who is paying for this? The the family, the bride's family or the. Yeah. So my nieces, my sister and brother-in-law are paying for this whole thing, which my brother-in-law was bitching and moaning it during Father's Day, how expensive it's going to be. Well, on top of the wedding, they have to pay for this? Yeah, so they have to pay for this on Friday night. What? As far as I understand, they're paying for it. So oh. then Saturday, there's a ceremony, obviously. There is then a reception, mm. which is going to have not one, but two DJs. What? Why? That's what I couldn't, I couldn't figure it out. So one DJ sets it all up, the lights, the sounds, the whole the speakers whatever and he's hosting the evening the other dj the second dj is the one who's playing the music okay so then the first guy's not a dj he's just the mc or whatever right but he also he also is a dj professionally oh God. so i i don't quite that's get it complicated yeah so that's already two djs right yeah so at some point in the evening, and we'll call it 11 o'clock, the reception's over, and now they're having an after party. Oh, my God. <laughs> now, the only time I've ever heard of after parties is, like, for prom. Right. Like, kids go to prom, and then they might have an after party, right? That's the only time I've ever heard of it. I've never yeah. been to an after party at a wedding. I've never heard of it before until now. So the after party... They're serving more food and more dessert. So he's got to pay for a whole nother meal wow. for everybody who's invited. Mm -hmm. And they've hired a third different DJ to play the after party. So he's paying three DJs that night. And these aren't, these aren't cheap DJs, trust me. They're, these are DJs who play shows around here and stuff like that. Yeah. And this, wow. after, this after party, I guess, goes to like two, three in the morning, which I don't get because, you know, at weddings, there's all different generations. My parents are going to be there, obviously. There's They're, no way I'm at 45 making to two, three in the morning. I'm not I can't either. imagine 80-year-olds making it till midnight. <laughs> right, exactly. Usually people leave while the reception's still going on, right? Right. Uh, yeah, by midnight, the latest. I think of my wedding, we had the ballroom, the reception room, the whatever the hell it was called. I think it was like midnight. That's it. That's when they cut you off. You wanted longer, you pay per hour. And it's like a, some hefty sum because nobody wants to stay that long. I don't no. think anybody stayed. That's crazy. No. So I can't, you know, I can't imagine, like you said, I mean, I'm not staying at 56. I'm not staying. My parents aren't staying in their 70s. Right. I imagine this is more for my niece and her fiance and their friends. Right. 
the 20 and 30 crowd can stay up. But then they should pay for this stuff. They should have their own party for their friends and shouldn't be the parents' responsibility. I can't imagine how much all of this would cost. Uh, yeah, this and this this is going to be a fairly big wedding, and wow. they're having they're having it at a like a hotel resort in Pennsylvania, so it's not even here in Cleveland. Wow! So we all have to go to Pennsylvania and stay Friday night and Saturday night and the whole thing, and you know, and so so you have the after party till two three in the morning, and then they're having a brunch Sunday morning, which. It's just, I, I, weddings, I don't know if this goes on in California. This is the first I've heard of it, but they have completely changed since it, it I has. was in the wedding scene. It sounds like it. Yeah, I, I'm hearing a lot about destination weddings where it's your closest friends and maybe your parents and closest relatives, smaller weddings, but they're actually flying to some exotic location. So there's a lot of that happening, especially with my clients, you know, with my single clients that end up getting engaged and things like that. I think out here, people are not having these big, humongous weddings that cost, you know, $100,000 and up. I think people are saving their money and they're just traveling to some exotic place and getting married on the beach with a few friends. And right. that's it. So, which, it's you funny. know. I'm I, was, sorry, but I was just going to say that if I could do it again, I mean, I'm never getting married again. I, as a matchmaker, I shouldn't be saying that, but I really think marriage, commitment, living together really ruins your relationship. <laughs> I've been saying that forever, <laughs> and I know as matchmakers, we're not supposed to say that, but um, I think, um, where was I going with this? Oh, um, yeah, that I would, instead of having a big wedding like I did which was we had probably I don't know over 100 people 120 people or something I know we invited close to like 150 people but a lot of you know Scott's friends family from Cleveland couldn't make it in other parts of the country uh, but I would have saved that money in a heartbeat if I could do it again I would never and my parents of course paid for it I would never do that again. And I encourage people, and even my own kids, you know, save that money for a down payment on a house. Right. You know? Well, here's the perfect example of why that's a waste of money. And it's my story. Were you, were you at my wedding? No, I didn't know you then. Okay. I, no. Well, I got married in 2000. No, I got married in 1995. Yeah, see, I was graduating high school then. So. Right, yeah, we didn't, in 1995, you're right, we, we didn't know each other. I was a senior in high school, graduating. So I got married in 1995, we had approximately 200 people with, you know, first class, a big band, the whole thing. My wife or fiance at the time, her parents didn't have much money, so my parents paid for the whole thing. Wow. I don't know how much it cost, but like you said, it could have cost $100,000. I was married for a year and a half oh. and then divorced. It's like, Did give you me the pay your parents back. I hope you paid. Yeah, your I, wish I could. It's like, like you said, give me the hundred grand. I won't get married and I'll buy a house or something or I'll take a trip around the world. It's just right. it's crazy because you don't know if the thing's going to last or not. 
you hope not only is, that, right? but even if it does last, I think I still think it's such a waste of money. It's you're really putting on a party for other people. It's right. not for you. I didn't have fun at my wedding. I don't even remember it, honestly. I hardly remember the wedding, the wedding night, the next day, the day before, the rehearsal dinner. I don't remember shit because I was so stressed out and I was trying to finish school. And I think I had just had finals not long before the wedding. It was awful. I don't remember any of it. So yeah, you know, it's going to be 23 years in August. Great. But I think it was probably like, I don't know, $20,000, for my parents. I, I should have had, give, had them give me that cash and right. save that money, put it into stocks, you know, real estate. Exactly. Bitcoin, whatever. Right. Oh, can you yeah. imagine? My brother-in-law's brother has a daughter who's getting married, okay? They were scheduled to get married last year and do a destination wedding like you were talking about in Cabo. So it's going to be small. You know, her parents, obviously, my sister and brother-in-law, I mean, it's going to be small. And everyone was going to Cabo. Well, that got canceled because of COVID. So now she's getting married at the end of July here in Cleveland. And it's costing her parents a hell of a lot more money now because they've got to throw, they're doing the same thing. The welcome party Friday night, the reception and after party Saturday night. Crazy. For a lot more people, obviously, because it's in town. Right. It's And, and they're, they're not wealthy people. They don't have a lot of money. It's just, it's crazy. It's, it's terrible to put people through that. And this is what, I, I think I talked about that in my book. If not in my book, I know in my blog, I talked about it many times. Um, the fact that in America, it's such a tradition for the wife, for the bride's family to pay for the wedding. And then the, the man's family, the groom's family pays for a rehearsal dinner or whatever, which is nothing compared to the entire wedding. <laughs> right. And I think it's such a stupid, stupid tradition. I, you know, in Europe in general, Eastern Europe, Western Europe, wherever, all over the world, that's not a thing. Either you split it or the couple pays for it if they're old enough and they have careers and money, or you just go in a lope and you go to, uh, you know, the, what is it called? Civic hall, civil hall, whatever. Yeah, justice of the peace, whatever. Exactly. You know, and then when you have the money, throw a party. Right. So I never understood that. And I remember, you know, and this is, uh, it's really sad because my parents didn't know much of these traditions. So when we got engaged or started planning the wedding, they kind of assumed that, you know, Scott's parents would pay for half of it. And then I remember Scott's parents saying something like, oh, yeah, yeah, we'll help. And then my parents called them because, you know, Russians, we're very upfront. We say what we mean. And when you tell us we're going to help, we take it literally, you're going to help financially. So I remember my mom calling his parents saying, okay, great. So this is how much this is going to cost. This is how much that's going to cost. Which part of it do you want to pay for? And they were like, oh, no, no, no. We meant we will help um, emotionally. You know, <laughs> we will help with the planning. We will help with whatever. I mean, I think they did end up paying for the flowers or something, um, which was really nice of them. But then they had to explain to my parents that, you know, in America is the tradition that the, the bride's family pays for it. Here, my parents just came to this country less than 20 years before and whatever little money they have saved, now they, they got to put for a wedding, which 
And I remember telling him, look, I don't need a big wedding. We don't have to do this. We could just have a small little reception. And my dad would say, no, I want you to have the wedding. If this is the person you're going to spend the rest of your life with, this is what you want. I'm going to give you a wedding. I remember feeling awful because my dress alone was like a thousand dollars, you know, right. in 1998. I'm like, oh my God, this is outrageous. Like, no, you like it. We buy it. You know, <laughs> I get you the, the, the dress you want, the dress we get this, the dress. You know, I was like, yeah, this is a thousand dollars. No problem. No problem. You know? And it was just like, everything was the fucking flowers, $2,000. And I remember it was hysterical. This is probably, you know, for another book, but everywhere we went. And if we did take my dad, he would try to like kind of bargain with them and go, what's the, what's the hell? What, what, what do I pay for? You know, $2,000 for flowers, right. kind of flowers, the gold, you put them in gold, you, you wrap diamond around it, you know what, you know, and they're like, no, we don't put it in gold. We don't wrap diamonds around it. The flowers are going to be dead in two days. Yeah. And I had this brilliant idea that I wanted, um, I think they're called Lily of the Valley. You know, it's like a yeah. little like bouquets and they only grow in the Midwest and the East Coast in cold climates like fucking Cleveland they don't grow in California right so I was like I always wanted to walk down the aisle with Lily of the Valley or beautiful whatever and I remember the lady saying okay well we'll probably have to import it from fucking Cleveland or from New York or some East Coast whatever and this is in August so or maybe Alaska I don't know where they would find them because they grow under snow the first snow that's when they come right well wow. we're getting married in August and I remember she was saying, oh, you know, just for this little bouquet, it was going to be like, I don't know, $500. My dad was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, okay, scratch that. No lily of the valley. You know, he's like, well, you had to get married in August. What the, you know, what the hell is this? <laughs> so oh, anyway, I would not, I feel terrible in all these years We tried to pay them back. And of course, you know, my dad's like, no, 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 no. You're not paying me back, you know? Just right. give me more grandbabies. I'm like, yeah, the shop's closed, but. <laughs> the shop's closed. Yeah, right. the, I, I agree anyway. with you. The, wherever the tradition of the bride's family has to pay for the wedding, I, I it's don't. Terrible. It's right. right? It's ridiculous. Yeah. Right. It doesn't, Why? It doesn't make sense. I don't know if that's like. Yeah, it doesn't make, because wasn't way back in history, didn't the the man's was it the man's family had to give a dowry yes right right so i mean still in i i believe in india a lot of indian families a lot of other cultures it's either you split it or it's the groom's family that pays for the wedding so i have a client actually who is dating um well, i have a few clients who are um, are Indian and they're planning this wedding in some palace in India and oh. it's the, the groom's family that's paying for all of this not only that but they have to give the bride many many gifts clothing you know handmade uh, gowns dresses jewelry I mean and I'm like yeah I fucking married wrong like I really <laughs> married, yeah, the wrong, married the wrong culture a Jew from Cleveland you know I'm like <laughs> I could have had a fucking prince and you know then my kids are like a prince you're jewish like what prince is gonna marry a jew <laughs> you know like where are you gonna find a prince i'm like don't they have princes in israel and no no it does not no, exist funny. 
So I'm like, next time around, I'm marrying a prince. A prince from India, and you can get married in a palace. Exactly. Or Just make you know, sure you invite me, please. I, I, I definitely will. But anyway, so um, yeah, we can go off on many, many tangents. I think we've covered a lot of topics today. We have. Um, and um, I think uh, there's definitely a lot more to talk about it. So we should uh, definitely thank our listeners if they stuck with us this long. Hopefully, yeah. This is a this is a long one for them. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm gonna break it up into a couple of uh, episodes. <laughs> That's probably a good idea. I think we're going on an hour and a half. So. Oh my gosh, you're right. And I gotta pee again, and I have to start dinner because my life revolves around the kitchen, and when I'm cooking next, you know. Even though I got rid of one kid, but apparently there's still two bodies that. They need to be fed. So anyway, well, thank you for joining me today again. It was a pleasure like always. I always have a good time when we do this. Awesome. And let's do this again. And we'll talk more about the Jewish mobsters and mental health, weddings, everything else that we covered today and more. Female prostates. I mean, whatever else. Forgot about that. Oh my God. The female prostates. We talked about that too. So yeah. (laughs) I'm going to go try to look for it again. At least I learned something on this podcast. I mean, that's a good thing. Right? Well, I always learn something. I'm going to go try to find my prostate again. I'm going to send an angry email to that doctor because uh, I think she's full of it. I don't know. I can't find it. Yeah, well, see, that's my point. If you can't find it, how the hell are we supposed (laughs) to find it? That I don't get at all. That's very true. You women are way too complicated. That's all I'm saying. I, I'm going to interview other women. We're going to talk to other women. And if they find it, then we're going to create a chart, you know, like a presentation, okay. a PowerPoint presentation for all you men, where to find it. Where, where to, find, to it. find it 101. We need, I need a class like that, please. That, that's a good topic. Where to find it 101. All right. <laughs> Thank you so much. And uh, we'll be back for more fun, interesting, crazy. You have been listening to Raw Truth Stories of Female Infidelity. Your support of the podcast is truly appreciated. Be sure to visit my website at rawtruthstoriesoffemaleinfidelity.com to access story guides, subscribe to Patreon for bonus episode of the men's side of female infidelity, and to vote for this podcast to be in the Hot 50 Countdown for Podcast Magazine. To submit your story for the show, share feedback, or if you have a Let's Ponder suggestion, please email it to rebecca.rawtruth at gmail.com or send by snail mail to Rebecca Adams, P.O. Box 821064, Vancouver, Washington, 98682. Every story is always anonymous. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review the show. Raw Truth Stories of Female Infidelity is produced and edited by Rebecca Adams. You can follow the show on Facebook at Raw Truth Stories of Female Infidelity, on Instagram at Podcast Raw Truth, and on Twitter at Raw Female. Thank you again, and be kind to one another, be kind to yourself, and always remember no judgment. Goodbye.